Good morning. My name is Adam. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, I'm part of the team here, and it is wonderful to be with you on this beautiful, beautiful spring day. You know, we have a whole range of different sayings and proverbs and mantras and expressions that we use in daily life. Let me give you a few examples, and maybe you'll help me out by filling in the blank. It's better to be safe than... Two wrongs don't make her. Better late than great minds think. Practice makes. I heard that a lot growing up when I was learning the drums. Actions speak louder than. Don't judge a book by it. The early bird catches the. Which I've never thought was a good motivation to get up early. You snooze, you. If it ain't broke, don't. An apple a day keeps the... Which again, I'm not sure about that. I love apples. I eat one most days. i still got to go to the doctor. Where there's a will, there's a... I mean, we could keep going all day, couldn't we? There's all of these different sayings and expressions and proverbs that have found their way into our language, and we all know them. They've become part of our culture. And this is true at a deeper level as well. There are some other cultural mantras that have not just become part of our culture, they've actually shaped our culture. That have not only found their way into our language, they've found their way into our lives. They've shaped the way that we think about ourselves and the way we think about the world. Now, we might not always be conscious of them. We might not walk around during the day repeating them. We might not print them out and put them on our walls at home. But we are shaped by these cultural mantras through the movies we watch, the songs we sing, the articles we read, the people we follow on social media. We slowly absorb these cultural truths. And what we're doing today and for the next few weeks is we're kicking off a brand new sermon series called Half Truths, exploring some common claims. We're taking some of these common cultural mantras and we're putting them under the microscope of God's word to see what they're saying to us and about us and to see what God's word has to say about them. And so over the next four weeks, we're looking at four common claims. Number one, today we'll be looking at the claim, do whatever makes you happy. Next week, don't let anyone tell you what to do. Week three, be true to yourself. And then week four, do not judge. Now, I think you'll agree that these are common ideas in our day. Truths that perhaps we have all slowly absorbed without even realizing it. And we want to know what God's word has to say about them so we can follow Jesus faithfully in our day. And we're going to begin today with the claim, do whatever makes you happy. Now, I actually got the idea for this series from a a pastor in Sydney named Ray Galea. He's a a great Bible teacher, and his sermon on this particular mantra was really helpful, and I've gained a number of insights from it that I'll be sharing with you today. So I just wanted to make sure that Ray gets appropriate credit up front. Now, a few years ago, there was a song released by Pharrell Williams, and thanks to the movie Despicable Me, it was a cultural phenomenon. The official uh, music video on YouTube has over one billion 
views. It's a catchy song, but I think it actually tapped into something deeper. Some of you are smiling because you already know what I'm talking about. It's called Happy, and this is how the chorus goes. Clap along if you feel like a room without a roof. It's fair to say Pharrell's not in trouble of losing his job to me. Clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. Clap along if you know what happiness is to you. Clap along if you feel like that's what you want to do. Now, it's not particularly deep, is it? But it is revealing. Clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. Now, that is, in many ways, the catch cry of our day. Happiness is the truth. Happiness is what ultimately matters. Happiness is what you should pursue. Happiness is what you should prioritize. I mean, what do we say about our children? I don't care what they do, as long as they are happy. Happiness, in many ways, is our ultimate goal for our kids. What do we say to others and to ourselves? You've got to do what makes you happy. You deserve to be happy. Why can't you be happy for me? We even use happiness as our standard of right and wrong. If it makes them happy, what's the big deal? Why does it matter? I had to do it. I just wasn't happy. We even co-opt God in our pursuit of happiness. We'll say things like, well, God loves me and he wants me to be happy. God won't mind as long as I'm happy. I mean, we are practically drowning in our pursuit of happiness. We're constantly being tempted to believe that we should do whatever makes us happy. And the question is, what does the Bible have to say about this? How does God's word speak into our pursuit of happiness? Now, you might think that the Bible offers a blanket no to our pursuit of happiness. That it just flatly denies that we should pursue happiness. After all, you may have heard the saying, and I'm pretty sure I've used the saying a couple of times from the pulpit, God wants you to be holy, not happy. Now, it sounds right on the surface, doesn't it? Because of course God wants us to be holy. He wants us to become righteous. He wants us to become more like Christ, of course. But the saying makes it sound as if holiness and happiness are opposed to one another. As if to be a Christian, you have to choose holiness and you have to reject happiness. As if being a Christian means signing up to a life of misery and sadness forever. But it's just not true. In fact, holiness is the way to true and lasting happiness. I like the way one author, Randy Alcorn, puts it. He's written a big book on happiness. And he says, God is decidedly and unapologetically anti-sin but in no sense anti-happiness. Indeed, holiness is what secures our happiness. Or as Charles Spurgeon, the, the Baptist preacher, put it, he said, holiness is the royal road to happiness. The death of sin is the life of joy. To put it another way, God is not opposed to your happiness. 
But God is the only true and lasting way to happiness. This is why as a church, our our mission, our purpose is to help more people find life in Jesus. Not just biological life, but life to the full. Life as it was meant to be lived. Life that lasts forever. Life with God, because this is what Jesus offers to us. This is what Jesus gives us. True and lasting life. And this is why when Jesus stood up to give his greatest ever sermon, what we know as the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 to 7, he began the sermon with the word happy. In fact, he used the word happy in the space of 10 verses. He used it nine times. See, the word blessed that we heard just a moment ago in the the Bible reading, it can also be translated happy or divinely happy. Jesus is saying to us today, this is the way to true and lasting happiness. This is what it looks like to be truly blessed, to be truly happy. Now, what was on Jesus' list? Not what we would normally put on a list of things that make us happy. I mean, Jesus said the truly blessed person is the person who is poor in spirit. It's the person who mourns. It's the person who is meek, hungry and thirsty for righteousness. It's the merciful person. It's the pure in heart. It's the peacemaker. It's even those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, they're not the kinds of things we would normally put on our list, things that make me happy. Pharrell didn't sing about any of those. You see, we would normally put the opposite type of things on our list of things that make us happy. To be rich, to be rejoicing, to be bold and beautiful. Some got it. You watch too much daytime TV. Terrible daytime TV. To be well-liked, to be popular, to win the argument. These are the type of things that we think make us happy. But with like a a loving cup of cold water to the face, Jesus gives us a wake-up call in Matthew chapter 5. He tells us what it truly means to be lastingly happy, what it means to be truly blessed. And the reason these things, which sound odd on the surface, the reason they're actually what leads to true and lasting happiness is explained for us in the second half of each verse. So for example, Jesus says the poor in spirit, those who recognize their spiritual bankruptcy before God, I have nothing to offer God, they actually are the ones that have everything. Jesus says they have, they possess the kingdom of heaven. He says, those who who are meek, they will inherit the earth. Those who mourn will be comforted. Those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, they will be satisfied. The merciful will receive mercy. The pure in heart will see God. The peacemakers are children of God. And those who are persecuted for Jesus' sake, they will be with God forever. And you see, that's the point. If you have God then no matter what your life looks like right now, no matter what your circumstances might be, you have everything that you could ever want or need. You will not miss out on anything, ultimately. God will be your happiness now and forever. It's a really beautiful and compelling vision, but here's the thing. It's easy to say 
on a Sunday in church, it's a little bit harder to believe and to live in the trenches of daily life. I think we would have to admit that we have to fight to believe that this is true sometimes. I mean, maybe you're in a season of life right now where you would say this is true, that God is the only way to true and lasting happiness, but the direction of your life, the affection of your heart, the attention of your mind, it it might say something different. Maybe you've become distracted, you've become blown off course, you've become consumed by pursuing lesser other things. You maybe have started to believe that a new home in a new suburb, a new job that just pays a bit more, a a new spouse, whatever, a, a new body, that those things are what will make me happy. And it's a lie. It promises, these things promise so much, but they don't ultimately deliver. It actually makes me think of the story of Augustine, the great church theologian from the fourth century. He wrote a, a testimony of his life called Confessions. That's a, a, an interesting title for a testimony of your life, isn't it? And he writes in this book about how his life was consumed by the pursuit of pleasure and happiness and satisfaction. In fact, before he came to Christ, he said that he spent his life looking in all the wrong places. Here's how he characterized his youth. Uh, He said to God, he said, I abandoned you to pursue the lowest things of your creation. I was dust going to dust. I mean, gladiator contests, which were big in his day, sex, study, money, he chased all of them. And the defining moment for Augustine came one day when he was walking through a garden in Milan in Italy. And he heard a voice saying, Tolle, lege, take, read. Now, whatever it was, whether it was a child singing a song, he took it as a divine command to, to pick up and to read the book of Romans, which he had on him, as you do. You know, we should all carry around a copy of Romans. And so he opened it up and he landed on Romans chapter 13, verses 13 to 14, which says this. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Augustine, I think, was the only person in history to be converted by this verse. Because that's what happened. Everything changed for him. He realized that Christ was what he'd been looking for his whole life. He wrote this. He said, suddenly it had become sweet to me to be without the sweets of folly and sin. What I once feared to lose was now a delight to dismiss. Listen to this. You turned them out and entered in to take their place. Pleasanter than any pleasure. He's saying Christ was more pleasant than any other pleasure. But God is the only way to true and lasting happiness. And maybe if we've been distracted, diverted, blown off course, we need to be reminded of that today. Maybe, though, for you, this is totally shocking and totally new information. I mean, maybe you've never, ever put God and happiness in the same sentence. Maybe when you think about God, you think about someone who is sour, unsmiling, and serious all the time. I wonder if it would surprise you to know that the Bible often talks about the happiness of God. That the Bible even describes God as the happy God. 
The Apostle Paul, in the letter of 1 Timothy, he begins and ends the letter with the description of God as the blessed God, which again, literally translated, could be the happy God. You see, God has always been and always will be happy because God has always existed in a perfectly loving, perfectly happy relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is why we see the joy of God overflowing in the pages of the Bible. For example, when Jesus was baptized, the Father declared, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. In other words, he makes me so happy. The Father delights in the Son, and the Son delights in the Father. We read this in Luke 10. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, Jesus didn't always walk around with a a frown on his face. Jesus wasn't serious all the time. Jesus was full of nuclear-powered joy. And he said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. All three persons of the Trinity, Jesus, full of joy through the Spirit, praising the Father in heaven. And the Bible tells us that heaven is a place of joy and happiness. Look at what Jesus said in Luke 15. He said, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. When someone turns from sin and turns to Jesus, heaven explodes in happiness. God rejoices. And so do those who are on earth. When we enter into our relationship with the happy God, we can and we do begin to experience joy and happiness. That's why Philippians 4 says to us, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And because we belong to the happy God who has no beginning and no end, we too will be happy forever. I mean, the promise that God gives to those who trust in Jesus, it's an eternity of perfect happiness. Jesus said in Matthew 25 to the person who has used their time, talents, treasures for God's kingdom, he says to that person, come and share your master's happiness. The Bible is filled with joy. God is a happy God. And he gives happiness to his people now and he promises happiness forever. Now I wonder if this fits with your view of God. If it doesn't, perhaps you need to do some rethinking. Now I guess the question is, well what does this mean Practically, What does this mean for our lives today? Well, David Murray is a minister and an author, and he's written a book called The Happy Christian, 10 Ways to Be a Joyful Believer in a Gloomy World. And in this book, he identifies seven different kinds of God-given happiness, seven different ways in which God has given us happiness today. And I want to share them with you briefly. The first he calls nature happiness. This is the joy of of enjoying God's creation. Visiting the Great Barrier Reef, the Blue Mountains, feeling a cool breeze on a hot day, sitting under the shade of a tree and hearing the birds chirp, mowing your lawn and, and having it all green and just perfect. That's a special kind of joy. Secondly, he says, there is social happiness. This is the joy of our relationships. It's being with friends and family and loved ones, playing with your grandkids, 
spending time with friends, enjoying the camaraderie of teammates on a sports team. I mean, relationships bring us a special kind of happiness and joy, don't they? Then, he says third, we can also have vocational happiness. Now, our jobs can be wearisome and they can be difficult, but they can also be satisfying and fulfilling and enjoyable. I love my job. It brings me joy to be able to do it sometimes, a lot of the time. Fourth, he says, we can also enjoy physical happiness. This is being fit and and strong and able to do the things that we want to do. Being able to to run around, to to, to run upstairs, to, to do whatever. Or it's the joy of having a good night's sleep. Or it's the joy of enjoying a good meal. I'm even told that there is a good feeling after you do some exercise, apparently. A bit weird. Fifth, there is intellectual happiness. This is the joy of understanding a new idea, of solving a problem, of reading a good book. There's joy in that. Sixth, there is humor happiness. This is just the joy of having a good belly laugh. I mean, God has given us the gift of humor. And so all six of these forms of happiness we enjoy in this world. And all six of these categories are for all people to enjoy. I mean, you don't have to be a Christian to enjoy the ocean or or to enjoy steak or sex or laughter, to read a book, to go to work, to have a good sleep. The sun rises on everyone, not just Christians. This is what theologians call common grace. It's God's goodness to all people. God gives happiness to all people, no matter what they believe or no matter how they live. But there's another type of happiness. There's a seventh type of happiness that is not experienced by all and that surpasses every other form of happiness. It's what David Murray calls spiritual happiness. And spiritual happiness is having your sins forgiven. It's entering into a restored relationship with the God who loves you. Here's how Psalm 32 puts it. Blessed, happy is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed, happy is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit there is no deceit. In other words, happy is the person who has been made right with the happy God. This is the ultimate form of happiness. This happiness will never be taken away from you. It will never rust, spoil, or fade. And it will get better and better forever and ever. And this is the happiness that you were made for. See, all other forms of happiness in this world, creation, work, body, whatever else, they're good gifts from God, but they're not God. They can't ultimately satisfy you, and they weren't meant to. Because you were made for more. You were made for God. I love the way Michael Rees puts it in his excellent book, Delighting in the Trinity. He says, In the triune God is the love behind all love, the life behind all life, the music behind all music, the beauty behind all beauty, and the joy behind all joy. See, the gifts of God were given to us for our enjoyment but not our worship. They were given to us to point us to the gift giver, but not to replace him. 
because they can't. Let me explain it this way, and I heard this once from uh, Craig Rochelle, pastor in the States. He says, if you took a fish out of the water and you put it on the beach, would that fish be happy? Not very. Be flopping around all over the sand. What if you gave that fish a whole pile of cash? You made him the richest fish in all the ocean. Well, not in the ocean. Is that fish happy? No. What if you gave that fish a lounge chair, an ice-cold Corona, and a Playfish magazine? That's Craig Rochelle, not me. So if you're angry, just send an email, craigrochelle at lifechurch.com. Is that fish happy? No. Because the fish was not made for the sand. The fish was made for the ocean. Now, if you have everything that this world can offer you, and you don't have God, can you and will you ultimately be happy? The answer is no. Because you were made for more than God's gift of creation and other things. You were made for God himself. And no new car, no new house, no new renovation, no new job, no new person is going to satisfy the craving of your soul. Augustine, the man that that pursued pleasure above all else, this was his conclusion at the end. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. God is not opposed to your happiness. But God is the only way to true and lasting happiness. And the good news of the gospel, the good news of of Jesus, is that Jesus came from heaven to earth to offer to us eternal happiness as a gift. He lived the life we haven't lived. He died the death we deserve to die. And he rose again to give us the gift of new life with God forever. Jesus died so we could live. Jesus was broken so we could be made whole. And Jesus endured the sorrow of the cross so that we could have eternal happiness with God forever. And because of Jesus, we are now free to do what Augustine said, to rest to not chase after everything else to satisfy our craving, but to rest in God and to enjoy those things that he's given to us as gifts, but not as God. I love the way G.K. Chesterton puts it. He says, you say grace before meals, all right, but I say grace before the concert and the opera, before the play and pantomime. And grace before I open a book. And grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing. And grace before I dip the pen in the ink. He is saying, every time I enjoy a gift of God, I give thanks to God for it. He enjoys the gifts that God has given him as gifts and not as God. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, Adam, this sounds amazing. This sounds wonderful, but I'm a Christian. And I've got to admit... I'm not experiencing this deep joy in God that you're talking about. I'm not experiencing this happiness. And you know, there's lots of different things that can impact our happiness, that can really make us unhappy. Our mental health, our physical health, 
our circumstances and our situations, they can impact our happiness. They can make us really quite sad. And that's not wrong. That's entirely understandable. But we also have to admit that there are other times when we can sin our way out of happiness. When we consistently and persistently violate God's will and God's wisdom. When we live contrary to God's instructions, there is a price to pay. There's an impact on our intimacy with God. We can't just indulge our selfish, sinful desires and expect there to be no impact on our intimacy with God. Here's the way Paul put it in Galatians 6. He said, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. What you sow in your life is what you will reap. Whoever sows to please their flesh, sinful desires, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now don't hear me wrong. When we sin and we repent and we turn to God, God stands ready to receive and to forgive and to embrace us. That's the whole point of the cross of Christ. That he has paid for all of our sins. But we've got to get real with God. We can't play games with God. We can't pretend God cannot be mocked. And we can't use God to justify our selfish, sinful desires. You might say, well, well, God wants me to be happy, doesn't he? Yes. And God wants you to be happy by becoming holy, which is true happiness. Remember what Spurgeon said, the death of sin is the life of joy. And so happiness means saying no to the slavery of short-term selfish sinful desires so that we can say yes to God and to eternal pleasures in his presence forevermore. This is what Psalm 16 says, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. God is not opposed to your happiness, but God is the only way to true and lasting happiness. Now, if you're not yet a Christian, let me just be as clear as I can be. You have been allowed to enjoy all kinds of happiness on earth. But it's been given to you by the God that you are ignoring. And all happiness outside of God will eventually pass away. Your positions, your your possessions, your popularity, whatever else. You can't hold on to them and you can't take them with you. True and lasting happiness is found only in Jesus. So should we do whatever makes us happy? The answer is no. Because happiness is important. Happiness is a gift from God, but it's not God. And if we pursue happiness as an end in itself, we will lose it. If we pursue six types of happiness, but we ignore the seventh, we will end up with none for eternity. But if we pursue the seventh type of happiness, we will end up with every form of happiness in its most enjoyable form for all eternity. God is not opposed to our happiness, 
for God is the only true and lasting way to happiness. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this reminder and correction from your word. We admit and acknowledge that we are so prone to wander, so prone to chase after the temporary and forget the eternal. So Lord, help us to be people that pursue the joy and the pleasure that is found in you so that we might properly enjoy all other forms of happiness that you've given to us as gifts, but not as gods. So wherever you're pressing on us personally today, help us to respond in faith. Help us to, to take that step that we need to take so that we might enjoy all that you have prepared and promised for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.